You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Blue Beetle. You finished scraping the gum off that lounger or what? Anything right now feels so out of reach. You always land on your feet, bro. You're hymen. They don't get out much. (laughs) I just want to rap. Jenny? Guard the hybrids in your life, but do not open it. You went in to get a shops, and all you brought back was a hamburger? Okay, I don't think it's a burger. You haven't looked? What the hell is that? How did you get it to do that? I think he likes me. It's on your back! Get it off! Get it off! Hey, man. All right, everybody, you just listening to the trailer for Blue Beetle, and the story is as follows. Jaime Reyes suddenly finds himself in possession of an ancient relic of alien biotechnology called the Scarab. The Scarab chooses Jaime to be its symbiotic host. He's bestowed with an incredible suit of armor that's capable of extraordinary and unpredictable powers, forever changing his destiny as he becomes the superhero Blue Beetle. The film is starring Zolo Marduena, Adriana Barreza, Damian Alcazar, Raul Max Trulio, Susan Sarandon, and George Lopez. It is directed by Angel Manuel Soto, and it is written by Gareth Donette Alcocer. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Sarah Clements. Hello, hello. And Giovanni Lago. Hello, everyone. Hola, everyone. We are here today to talk about the latest superhero in the DC universe we're calling it now right we're now we're no longer calling this the dceu am i am i right in saying that apparently it's like the dcu is the new james gunn stuff but as we're probably going to get into it i think it's still murky whether this even (laughs) constitutes as part of that so who knows (laughs) i mean i would imagine given the feelings towards this movie so far critically and from what i've seen from those who are venturing out to see it that it's a well-received character and james gunn would want to probably have more adventures here with these uh characters and also to uh, zolo uh, maduena it, like in what a a breakthrough performance here on the screen i know a lot of people are familiar with him from cobra kai you know he's young there's a lot of potential here to take this character further moving forward. But before we get to any of that, we're getting already sidetracked here in the beginning. Blue Beetle comes right now at a very interesting time in Warner Brothers and DC's timeline, given the change in power, as we said before, with James Gunn taking over. Uh, this was a film that was being made under the DCEU, and now it's kind of like somewhere caught in between at this time. But it also has the unique identity of being able to lay claim as uh, the, I believe, first DC film to have a uh, Latino uh, main character. Am I right in saying that? I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, some representation up on the screen here, give people a little different flavor in terms of what they can expect from the superhero genre, or is it? That is the ultimate question here when we get down to the bare bones of the story structure and what they are exactly presenting to us here. So, Sarah, was it unique enough for you to stand out from the rest of the superhero offerings that we've been getting as of late? Or was it just more of the same? What did you think of Blue Beetle? Hmm, that's a good question. I think it does stand out, especially being the first, you know, superhero film with 
uh, a Latino superhero, but, you know, I quite enjoy Blue Beetle. It was fun to be introduced to an origin story and a superhero character I wasn't really familiar with at all. And Zolo is a natural, charming star. I thought that he captured sort of the childlike wonder that these new powers produce, but also mixed with the fear of the unknown and its responsibilities very well. Um, I liked the action. I enjoyed the creative use of a variety of weapons. Unfortunately, I'm sure we'll get into this more, but the boring villains kind of bring it down for me. But it's the family unit that really um, hit me right in the feels and uh, made it me enjoy it more overall. And I love that in the end, this is sort of not a film about like one superhero, but the entire family are superheroes. And everyday people being superheroes always hits for me. So overall... Despite some issues, I really, really liked it. Yeah, it's in a way almost like uh, DC's Spider-Man, if you will. Anybody can wear the mask. Anybody can be the hero. And that sort of everyday quality of these characters, I think, is something that does translate very well here. We'll get more into that here in just a little bit. Giovanni, what about for you, man? Uh, What did you think of this? Uh, Would you have gone crazy for this like 15 years ago when you were – when you were a kid? For sure. Uh, I think also my superhero phase, of course, was a bit bigger back then. <laughs> and Blue Beetle is a character I am familiar with. So it, they do reference, you know, the other versions like Dan Garrett, which was like started in like the 1930s and, and, and then Ted Cord, of course. But like this version, Jaime Reyes, was like in 2005, I think he was created. So, of course, you know, being Latino, seeing Jaime Reyes like as a comic, I mean, like that's the version I grew up with and I saw in cartoons like Batman, the Brave and the Bold and other media I've interacted with. So that's the version I know. And I I remember when they were making this movie, I was like a bit like at least heard about it. I was a bit interested and excited because I do like the character. But then as you know, DC stuff's gone along. I just and just overall trend of superhero films and how they've been more and more just dialed in to really selling a product and less in delivering an interesting movie. I've kind of tapped out so by the time this movie finally came out i wasn't really excited to see it uh i will say i had an all right time watching the movie uh positively i think we can all agree i think the family aspect is for sure like the heart and soul of this movie it's the strongest reason to even watch this movie in my opinion i think zolo Mardurena is great great like he's so good I've watched Cobra Kai for a long time, so I've known this dude was, like, pretty cracked. So when he got casted, I was like, that's actually perfect uh, casting. And the way you described it, you know, he's kind of like Spider-Man in a way for DC. He's that young guy that, like, anyone could wear the suit. And I think that's very much a message that's in the film that, like, anyone could be the hero. And and they really show that. And and I like the cool, you know, I guess there's references to, like, other comic book stuff. I'm like, yeah, okay. But I think the less it becomes more about my family— and the more normal things and the more becomes the very traditional superhero film, especially towards the third act, which definitely goes into just DC CGI third act battle is where it really just loses me. And it's a little bit disappointing because uh, and, and well, uh, Manuel Soto, um, really good director. I, I assume most of us here have seen Charm City Kings, which I adored. When that movie came out. Like, yeah, that was a great movie. So good. And it came, like 2020. So when he was like hired as a director, I was like, okay, 
he definitely has a visual flair and you see like glimpses of it in the movie but then again it just all gets lost into the same typical superhero film we always are accustomed to and seen and especially uh what sarah mentioned you know villains in this movie are bad i i will talk more about susan saran i love susan sarandon but it's just it was uninteresting to me and unengaging and by the time the movie came to an end i was like all right it's just more of the same and it's entertaining and it's certainly not bad compared to another dc film about family uh shazam that came out this year uh but overall i was just left feeling like yeah all right Okay, so for me, I went into this with pretty low expectations, mostly because um, I'm pretty fatigued when it comes to the superhero genre. Uh, even on the Marvel side, which I have shown preference for, I will admit, uh, because I maintain still to this day, the DC timeline was forever screwed up in the early stages, and it has never recovered ever since for me. And that lack of continuity and... The shifting of tones and trying to just find its own identity while not trying to replicate the success of the MCU uh, is something that I think that uh, DC has struggled with over the last, dear God, like what? Are we going on in like a decade here? It feels like almost. I was in high school, so it's wild. It's, it's been a long road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To say the least. So to my pleasant surprise, I actually quite enjoyed this uh, for the reasons that one would expect. As mentioned before, the heart of this movie is with the family dynamic, and I think that this movie overcomes a lot of its faults by highlighting these characters uh, within the family and giving them moments uh, that are very emotional. I, I did not expect to get so wrapped up in the more emotional aspects of this story the way that I did. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I, did, I didn't shed a tear, but I, I know some people who did. So that's a testament to, you know, that they're doing something right here in terms of the relationships that these characters share with one another and also how well they've laid the groundwork for taking them uh, further into, you know, future films. So... There is that to say. The typical like superhero action, I actually didn't think was quite bad here. I did feel that there was I don't want to say it was like extraordinary or anything that I like haven't seen before, but I did feel it was a little bit more um energetic. I, I did feel a bit more energized, and maybe also too, because I was invested in the character and invested in the story that even if the action was your typical CGI that you see in superhero movies where they're flying through the air and they're doing these fast, hard-hitting moves that, quite frankly, could just, like, level cities and destroy buildings and things of that nature. I, you know, it's, it's all fine for me. It didn't bother me none. What did bother me and what I was not able to ever jive with in this movie was the humor. I constantly felt like the humor in this film was very try-hard. Like, they were going out of their way to try and elicit laughs in a way that didn't feel organic but felt incredibly forced to me. I don't know if you all felt that too, but I had more than a, more than a few eye rolls where I was like, really? Like, okay. Like I, And I could see how it could work for some people, but it, it, it was something that to me stood out uh, pretty apparently. 
Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. I agree at times. I also didn't really talk about I want to shout out George Lopez. It was pretty funny. And I think, you know, some of the humor is like landing, some of it doesn't. But I think that's where George Lopez's like strength as a comedian kind of knows when he's like, okay, this is the timing I need to do and doesn't really overstay it compared to some of the other bits, which kind of just drag out. And I was like, okay, I, I did have Giovanni, that Giovanni, he took the taco. <laughs> oh my God. You know, that scene where George Lopez is freaking out. <laughs> Hey, but Batman's a fascist, okay? Like, they, they want us to laugh at his reaction to that moment, but it's, like, so incredibly forced. I know. I know. I'm just biased, okay? Because I do like I, I like George Lopez. You know? I do, too. I think George Lopez is really funny, and there are, are moments where I think that his work in this does land. It's just, I, you know, at a certain point, when you're trying to then ground the story and give them moments where they're not acting out so large and so big in their performance and then they're, they're trying to dial it back and have these more emotional connective moments with um with Jaime it, yeah. it, to me it just doesn't totally then fit click yeah I I mean I get it I get it at times like I totally see where that issue with the film comes from I'm definitely like in the opposite camp I feel and I'm sure there will be people who also feel this way but like it did really bother me at all, the humor. It wasn't very, like, I wasn't, like, laughing out loud or anything, but um, there wasn't really any moments where I was, like, rolling my eyes like you, Matt. But I don't know. Maybe it just depends on the person. Maybe. No, I, I definitely think that could be a case here. I'm not, like, saying that this is an inherent fault of the film necessarily. It just didn't work for me. Um, what did work, though, in terms of any humorous moments or charm, if you will, um, every moment uh, that... Arduena basically just had a moment to, I mean, whether he's in the suit or he's not in the suit, you know, they, they start off this film with him being uh, like a like a waiter at a, at a high end uh, home uh, where he's like serving food and like, you know, cleaning shit. And even in that mode, he was still such a captivating screen presence. He had so much charisma, so much likability that like I, I could have watched the whole movie with him without the suit and I still would have been completely wrapped up in the story. That I totally agree with. And I think that ties into, I don't know, as a superhero, as a movies as of late, you know, especially with like the masking stuff, especially with the CGI, like nanotech type masking. Every time that Zolo doesn't have the mask, I'm like, okay, yeah. But then like he, he masks up and it's just the voice and everything through his suit and it loses a little bit of, the charm for me like i'm like okay this is cool but like i did like but here's the thing though about that that you could tell once again that they're trying really really hard because 
t- telling you to not get Spider-Man vibes of him oh, like, yeah. doing all these quips and one-liners and trying to... And the suit is talking to him. Yeah, right? Yeah, like it's... Yeah, like Homecoming. There's a, there's a lot of like superhero movie comparisons that recently came out that I thought of watching this movie and it's it's I think that's what bothers me because the more I watch it I'm like oh this is just like this and this is just like this and this is just like this right and then other than it's Latino identity like what else does it have to differentiate itself yeah I'm not much of like a I do like reading the comics and stuff but I haven't read it you know to a great extent I'm not sure I'm sure um, Gio you've read more than me but do you feel like it also is a comic issue. Like, are a lot of the comics sort of similar in that way where, like, they would translate to film in similar way or? Um, I really think it depends. I, I do appreciate how I will say one of the bigger strengths of this film is relatively it is a bit smaller scale. You know, it's not yes. giant beam in the sky and end of the world like um, – like uh, I'm trying to think, like a Man of Steel or something like that, or even The Flash that recently just came out. And I think that pertains more to Blue Beetle making it feel that it's like, hey, he's the kid in the neighborhood that, you know, like Spider-Man, I, I know we compare it, but like, hey, he suits up and he protects everyone in Palmyra City. And and I think it worked out. It's just, it it translates better and of course, in comic stuff, I, when you're translating comic stuff to movies, it's always going to be hit or miss, especially when it's something very zany. And I think, you know, in the comics, what Blue Beetle is better at, it's kind of like Green Lantern, you know, how he can like create all this stuff with his suit and everything. And they do an all right job of showing like he creates a sword and he's got his blasters and stuff. But I almost equated it to Iron Man at times, honestly. Yeah, that too. Um, I think in comics, you know, that works better because you could do anything when it comes to like animation or comics that he's like, oh, he could create this and this and this. And then the film, it's like relatively what can you do based on the capability of like the amount of money you're putting into your special effects and everything. But I mean, the few times he does, like when he creates a sword and everything or like in the tunnel sequence where he, when he's like going off, like it was, as you mentioned, Matt, like energetic, the action sequences. And that's probably where it fares better compared to like when he's fighting um i'm trying to remember the i can't even remember the bad guy's name carapax you know who's also just oh oh mock yeah oh yeah the beefed up like suit and it's just like okay it's just you need someone like on a power scale to like make it entertaining i guess I mean, it was so funny because, like, watching them uh, duke it out at times in, in both suits, I was almost reminded of, like, oh, they're, like, little mini Transformers. <laughs> like, 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 you know, you could feel the weight of those hits. And when their bodies, like, crash against the pavement or whatever it is, you know, because they're in these metallic uh, suits that, you know, weigh God knows how much, you know, you just really feel the impact and the weight of those hits. So it reminded me of Transformers a little bit in that regard, like if they were human-sized as opposed to giant, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. I will say in regards to that character uh, that you mentioned here, Raul Max Trujillo's uh, character, Ignacio uh, Carapax, I was not feeling it the whole way through the movie. You know, I'm like, ah, the silent badass type who's like the henchman for the real baddie of the movie. But then they do something in the third act that's brief. But, oh, my gosh, I got to tell you, some people may feel that this was something that was tacked on a little too late. It really, really worked for me. And and I actually believed the direction that that character took 
Um, maybe, like I said, more so than maybe some other people by comparison. But like for me, I thought that all of that storytelling was done really well. Yeah, I, I, I would be in the camp of I kind of wish we saw more of that early on. So that way by like the ending, we had a feeling of like, OK, it, because so you wish it was like sprinkled throughout the film a little bit more than tacked on at the end. Yeah, because as soon as like you see um, Jaime starting getting a little bit beat down, I'm like, okay, it's here's what's gonna happen because like there's no way he's gonna lose because you know what you're watching, and then it's like, well, here's this, and now there's a bit of understanding, and then it's like gives a reason for Carapax, Omac, whatever, you know, to like do what he does. I'm avoiding uh, spoilers, but I also think too, it also helps sell that moment really well. Yeah, outside of what they do with that character is. Uh, Zolo's performance because mm-hmm. that character, you know, for a first film here, this character gets pushed to the limit pretty far and is willing to go beyond those limits, but then discover something about himself in the process of doing so. Where, once again, as you said earlier, have we seen this in other superhero movies before? Yes, where the hero starts to lose their cool, they start beating somebody down, and we're starting to wonder is our hero pushing things too far? Are they about to become the villain? But Man, Zolo's performance is so freaking good in those moments that it actually rubbed off onto uh, the Ignacio uh, character for me. And I, I was like, this is great. Like, this is a great emotional climax to the third act of this movie. I did enjoy that it sort of created this contrasting idea about um, love of family is a strength versus a weakness. But I feel like it came a little too late for me for re- for me to really like feel something for this villain. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I agree with Geo. I wish some stuff was sprinkled throughout. Now let's talk about the other villain then, Miss Sarandon. I love yeah, my girl Susan, uh. but she was given crumbs. <laughs> I think she really was trying to take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad as much as she could here, like. She is, I think, really dialing up the ham here as much as she can without going too over the top. But you can tell that she is having a blast with playing a character that allows for her to just be loose and big and playful. It's not a performance that I I think is um, as outlandish as something like Jason Momoa in Fast X, for example. But... You can tell when you're watching her on screen, oh, Susan Sarandon's eating right now, literally and and metaphorically speaking. Yeah, I, feel I like thought she was fantastic, it, but it's just yeah. a villain that you've seen so many times before. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, the writing for the character is repetitive, thin. It, I, like, there's really not much there. That's what I mean, though, when I say, like, I think that she takes that and does the best that she can with it and makes it um, – serviceable Mm -hmm. it feels like at times though i was trying to get like glimpses of her trying to emulate a little bit of what pedro pascal was doing in wonder woman 1984 but it just never came off like as fully dialed in like that i i I think it's more so just the material she's given where like you said it's it's really not much so she is trying to do her best to make the character somewhat interesting and i just I was never like interested in when she was on screen, which is crazy to say because come on, Susan Sarandon. But I, I felt her character was just bland. But I, I like how they try to use her to connect to the whole Ted Cord of it all from the comics because it, it's mentioned. You know, Ted Cord was the previous 
Blue Beetle, and that's her uh, brother. And of course, with the... Um, her niece, who's like in the central dynamic of it, um, trying to remember Jenny. So that was cool. But I mean, I, I preferred, as we were just talking about, despite, you know, taking long to get uh, Carapax, you know, to do his whole shtick. I, I rather, every time he was on screen, despite it being like, oh, the silent henchman type, I rather would have watched that than surrounded. That's fair. And that's understandable, I think. Uh, you mentioned Jenny a second here. Yeah, I didn't I didn't buy into this. I didn't buy into their dynamic. I really didn't. And uh, how did you all feel about it? Because that was another element where like, it, it didn't feel so incredibly forced and contrived. But at the same time, it was like, we're, we're getting pretty close here. I thought they had great chemistry. It felt like a, your very typical like romance thing. Right. Yeah. Like it's know. expected of, of, yeah. the, of the movie to like have them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this thing is that it didn't surprise me with anything. And as a result of which I didn't feel like she was given much to work with either. Yeah. I, I like I, I'm sure if they do sequels, like she'll come back and God knows at some point, maybe she'll get a suit, you know, as these things usually go. But who knows? You know, you never know. The other side characters here, mostly uh, Jaime's uh, family. Okay, <laughs> Adriana Bereza, Academy Award-nominated actress here for uh, Babel, for those of you that remember. Great actress. And for a majority of this movie, was enjoying her presence. I had a feeling that she was going to be pretty instrumental in the tone and the path of the third act of this movie, uh, where they decided to take it once again, trying to elicit cheer moments, laughs. Ah, uh, that 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 really didn't work for me. That like that that stretched a level of believability. And I and once again, believability, right? It's like, Matt, it's a DC film. Like, give yourself over already. But at the same time, I, I just I thought they went too far with kind of like a wink, wink. A, hey, isn't this funny? Isn't it like, oh, look at her. She's a badass all of a sudden. And like, she never told her family this, you know, and it's like, she's playing a completely different character than what we've seen before. And it, I don't know, just for me, I was mixed on it all overall. I don't know. It really worked for me. I was having a lot of fun with it. Um, and it also just kind of emphasized the whole like, uh, you know, everybody can be a superhero type thing, sure. no matter who you know, who, what gender, age, whatever that you are. But yeah, I thought she was, honestly, I thought she was a badass icon and I want more. <laughs> I, I, I don't blame you for having that belief. I, I, I don't. I think a lot of people are going to feel the same way. Um, it just was, to me, something where I think this movie is more aimed at a, at a, at a child demographic maybe than I thought heading into it. And maybe that's what it is. And, and that's why I also, like, I opened up with asking Geo, Geo, like, if you were younger, would you have loved this movie? And I can I can imagine, even for myself, like, if I'm, like, nine years old and I'm watching this, I'm probably thinking this is, like, the greatest movie, like, ever, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But now I, I think it's just a tad bit too silly at times. Wow. You heard it here. Matt doesn't like abuelas with giant machine guns. Okay. Oh, my God. Come on. <laughs> Listen, her moment that she has with them outside of the house after a particularly uh, dramatic scene, uh, like she's excellent in those moments, you know, and she's a great actress. It's just I think what they ask her for her character to do in this is just something to me that it just it's just too silly for me. 
Nah, I, I like, yeah, I get it. I, I do think, you know, there are times where like when he's suiting up and everything, they try to play for laughs. But like if I was there watching a family member just transform into that, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, this is like traumatizing. But and so, again, <laughs> they, they try to like dial up the humor a bit to be like, hey, it's not that bad. This is for everyone. It was for kids, which, yeah, you get more bits like the machine gun bit. But I'm. It worked for me. I thought it was I thought it was cute. You know, like I'm not gonna be like, wow, this is the funniest bit of the year, but I'm watching, I'm like, okay, Abuela's got it. You know, she's carrying. Good for her. Yeah. It's like you, you know what they're going for, and are they succeeding in achieving like, you know, what they're setting out to do here? Yes. Is it a personal thing for me? Yes. Am I gonna hold it against the film? No, not really. Especially when you have also like his sister also getting involved too, um, in a way that I actually thought was more believable um, in terms of how her involvement in the story is handled. Same thing with George Lopez's character. And also, too, the way that they uh, weave in Jaime's relationship with his father in this movie, too. Uh, that was something that I mentioned earlier. Like, audience members were crying watching this movie. I mean, it, it reminded me a lot of um, in Black Panther when Chadwick Boseman has the scene with uh, his father in the – the ancestral plane. The ancestral planes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and that got an emotional response from the audience, like similar vibes here. And in a way that I was like, wow, like this is really powerful stuff. And it's being conveyed visually in a way that I'm like, this is, you know, probably the most interesting the movie has been up until this point. I, I thought that was probably maybe for me uh, the high the high point of the entire film, honestly. No, uh, yeah, I would I would say that that there's a scene towards the end with him and his dad that it really I think it encapsulates everything Jaime is trying to be as just an individual and a superhero, and when you see it, it, it just works and it it gives a sense of importance to the film and his story and it's I mean it's relatable I mean you know everyone everyone's got a dad or, or at least some people do and you know that relationship that bond and seeing it displayed on screen so beautifully was is really heartfelt so after this introduction now and being introduced to Blue Beetle these characters this world are we all in agreement that we want to see more and that there is room for improvement to make something even better than this 100% yeah like, I really think that if they play their cards right with a, a sequel, like, I re really do believe that they could make a leaps and bounds better movie with another offering here at some point, which, you know, a lot of times when there are um, plans of doing sequels for movies, I'm kind of like, ugh, do we really need to do this? Why are we doing this? But here it's like it's inevitable. It's going to happen no matter what, whether you want it to or not. So you might as well just accept it. And given that I, I think this is a good superhero movie i don't think it's a great one but i think that that is exciting because it leaves enough open for them to improve upon it and give us something that could enter into the great conversation territory yeah i i do think there is improvement for a sequel i think you know when you have an origin story like this you whenever it's the first film you always get you know the introduction and all that out of the way so the next one you could really let flourish uh, the core family, I would like to see more again, especially, you know, Jaime Reyes, you know, Zolo, Marduena. The thing is, are we actually going to see them again? Are we really? Because let's be honest, I don't think we will. <laughs> I think this is it. 
Wait, wait, in terms of the family members? No, I think, like, in if we get, like, Blue Beetle and James Gunn whole shtick that's coming up, I don't know if it's going to be the same cast. I really don't. I feel like this is just, like, the Flash remnants of stuff before, and they just made the mistake of announcing a whole film slate. I think we talked about this when we talked about Shazam, you know, when you have someone announce a whole film slate of, like, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this, but, like, you're still releasing movies that are coming out before from like this previous regime and it's just confusing audience members and it's like well this is staying but this is not staying and all the the stuff recently about like gal gadot being like oh yeah i talked about uh wonder woman 3 and james gunn's like yeah no we're not like i i don't see why you're gonna reboot superman and batman and all of this but then you're gonna pick you're gonna keep blue beetle which as much as i like the casting everything it's just compared to like those head honchos, you know, it, it it does it just it's confusing. I think you're just confusing audiences who go into these movies now expecting everything to be some sort of connected universe because that's what we've programmed. Well, what? hold up now, hold up. Let me uh, clarify something here. Are, is it confirmed that the cast in this movie is not going to return for the next one, or they just don't have them like contracted? Like, what's the deal there? So James Gunn has said that apparently Blue Beetle. The, the character of Blue Beetle will be in the DCU, but I don't know if this version, what we've seen, you know, is going to be carried over. I'll tell you this right now. That would be a mistake. I if agree. they did not bring over this cast and continue this. Because to your point, Giovanni, like, we don't need to confuse audiences any more than they already are at this point. Like, bring some level of continuity and just bring all these um, cast members back. I mean, hell, if you even want to bring uh, back uh, Manuel Soto again in the director's I chair, like I mean, w- why not? But it, Yeah, I just, I don't know. And then, you know, yeah. we'll see how this movie... So, so wait, wait, wait. So you, you're, you're not saying that this is confirmed, you're just doubtful. I'm very doubtful. Nothing's been really confirmed besides that James Gunn is like, I'm going to use Blue Beetle in the DCU, but like, I'm assuming he's going to use flash and superman and everything like previously before but this is going to be all new people so my as like producer brain right now just is like why would you bring him but not because i know he's bringing back it's confirmed he's bringing back like margot robbie harley quinn and like peacemaker and amanda waller but i let's be real those are all people that worked with james gunn on dc movies so like Mm -hmm. obviously he's gonna have a a leniency to be like yeah i'm bringing those people back like i'm gonna do that well unlike you know Ezra Miller and the Flash, yeah. uh, you know Zola. I just think is so good, so damn good in this movie, and deserves more opportunity to show the world uh, what exactly he can do with this character. And I think that we got such a great glimpse here that it would be a real misguided, terrible decision if they did not bring him back. And then, okay, fine. Do I have some quibbles with the? way that like some of the comedy and the tone of the family is handled in this movie yes but you've also established that there is an emotional resonance Mm -hmm. here and how their chemistry their bond is what makes this character stronger you got to keep that intact look as much as we look it seems so obvious right now but like we've seen crazy ideas done by like studio heads and everything that clearly don't know what they're doing as we've been watching um so who knows? I just I think also, you know, how this movie performs is going to be a big factor and it's not looking too, too great right now. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that I, I really hope that they don't take that as a sign of saying, oh, 
we're going to continue using Blue Beetle, but it's going to be direct to HBO Max or or Max, whatever the hell they call it nowadays. You know, things like that. I mean, to be fair, this was originally going to be an HBO Max movie. It was like this and Batgirl and these like quote unquote mid budget um, superhero films before uh, they officially got like okay, you know, let's bring it to theaters. So that was the plan originally for this. And there's moments at time where I was watching this movie and I was like, this does seem like a a streaming movie and not something I would usually go. Well, as was said earlier, it does have a smaller scale to it, but I think Mm -hmm. that's part of its charm. I agree. I agree. And um, but at the end of the day, will that translate with audience? Like if people are liking it, like it's not like it's getting panned, which is good because as much as I have problems with this movie, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a simply all right, an entertaining film that, like, you know, most people would enjoy. But, you know, a lot of studio heads be like, oh, no money, uh, no sequel, or no bringing this. Uh, clearly, people don't like it. And there's always, you know, certain factors that go into more than just that. I just don't even want to think about what Gio just said because it makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I understand. Like, it makes sense because, you know, they're always changing, like, characters like superman and batman and stuff but it's just like oh i loved zolo so much in this and it would just suck to just see like the him and the like entire family just like not be involved anymore and i mean i it seems like they do have an idea for like other films especially with like the mid-credit scene i don't know i didn't i don't know if there was an end credit one i didn't stay but I did. It was a nothing moment. But I don't know. I just I hopefully we see more. I, I really hate now that the second end credit scene is typically something that is purely inconsequential. A and joke. I really hate that I have to stay usually through the whole thing just to get a moment like that. Um, although I will say I, I did ask some people afterwards and the moment that they did show um, and it was also referenced in the film was something that uh, I was told that if you grew up like in a Latino household, uh, like that was like a... The El Chapo in Colorado. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was like a satirical like uh, Latino, like especially in Mexico. Um, and I'm Puerto Rican, but I know of the show and it's like a satirical superhero show and he's like mm-hmm. cockroach. And yeah, th- I think, in, and also that ties into like the the references and the mo- more personable aspects of the film that make it unique like i know they like make jokes mm-hmm. about maria de la barrio which is like um it was a show on um telemundo and i i know that like my grandmother watched some of it and it's kind of funny because it was like um this poor girl meets like this rich family and in a way it's the family jokes about that because Jaime, you know isn't the most financially stable family and then he meets jenny who is the daughter of Ted Cord, who is the super rich, like Bruce Wayne type. So, you know, it, it's, it's references and jokes like that that I'm like, okay, I see where uh, Soto, Manuel Soto comes from and like where he's like referencing and it makes it more human compared to just more stale, like Batman, look at Batman, oh, Superman, you know, just traditional things. Yeah. And not to mention, too, you know, those moments, um, even as someone like myself who I didn't quite like get all the references, it didn't deter from my enjoyment of the movie at all yeah coming up on five minute news i'm anthony davis you might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other but it's not it's just the truth and i think that's also something that's kind of unusual for americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. All right, uh, let's get over to final thoughts, uh, stuff that we didn't mention that you want to bring up here. I'm sure there's got to be a scene or something or another that, you know, we didn't get a chance to dive into here. So, uh, Sarah, we'll start off with you first. Yeah, I I think everything – we've covered everything quite well, I feel. But I just wanted to sort of bring it back to Jenny and Victoria Cord, um, played by Susan, Susan Sarandon, like their relationship. Because it's all – the film's all about family. But we tend to forget that some people don't know what family means. And it kind of hit me personally because it's like it represented one side of my family that – sucks and then the other one that's like really good so i really enjoyed this sort of contrasting ideas of family mm, and yeah. um yeah no that's a good point you know I, I do think that the relationship between those two characters in this movie while it's there and it gets referenced quite a bit it still felt a little undercooked to me mostly because it doesn't feel like this the movie is that concerned with making that such a big plot point but at the same time, I do like what you're saying here, Sarah, just in terms of how it ties back to the theme of family and the families that work, the families that don't. And let's let's just put it this way. Between this and Fast X, I think this is the better movie about family this year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else? No, nope, that's everything. All right. Giovanni, what about you? Um, I think we've really covered uh, a lot of the bases. I... I'm going to always champion, you know, having diverse cast and film, especially given the opportunity of uh, a Latino lead actor and whole ensemble. I just wish the screenplay just helped out. A really great director, as I've, we've constantly mentioned <laughs> throughout uh, this podcast, um, I, because, you know, it constantly is like the Victoria Court stuff is I'm watching it and it feels that's like Ant-Man. It's like Corey Stoll in a way, like the first movie, just hammed up. It, Oh, speaking of Van Man, what about uh, George Lopez driving the van and it plays La Cucaracha? Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's the yeah. same tone from Ant Man. It's that. <laughs> and then, it, it, like, you see, we've seen so many of these. And, like, the family stuff, although it's done way better than Shazam by a lot, you know, we've kind of seen that already. And then, you know, we talk about the suit stuff and it's like Spider Man. So maybe just getting through all of that, despite how a averagely seen we've, we've seen it before you know getting that out of the way hopefully for a sequel i think just a better script because the talent behind the camera is there with and how uh manuel soto i like some of the action sequences are good before it gets super cg uh crazy fights you know you bring that you bring back the, the family and zolo and you really could have you know something pretty special with the sequel especially you know they kind of set up um, a, a certain quest, you know, that Jenny and Zolo will probably take and into finding a certain somebody. So I, I, I would like to see that. I don't know if we will. I think we've talked about the room for improvement. I like how personable the movie can be. I just wish the story itself uh, stood out more to elevate an already good ensemble and a, a great lead performance, which put Zolo on more things, please, because he's got such charisma like, I, I really, I can't really state, like, how charismatic he is as a lead performance. Like, please, I, if you haven't watched Cobra Kai already, like, he's he's very good. He's got that very personable, like, I like this guy, you know, um, charm to him. And, and I would like to see more. 
Yeah, there seems to be, at least from my point of view, it this almost reminded me a little bit of Disney's animation offerings over the last couple of years where the storytelling is, well, we've seen this before, or it was predictable because Disney is confined to following a certain formula due to the nature of their target demographic, which doesn't allow for them to tell mature stories that take risks and are very bold, right? And all they do then is they say, but look, we're telling it now from this ethnic perspective or whatever it is to just give it a different flavor and a different identity and shape to it. And then everyone can, or not everyone, but like hopefully a large majority of the audience will look at it and go, oh, that's unique. That's different. I haven't seen that before. And I think that that's what they're trying to do here. They're taking elements that have worked in other stories before this. They're not really giving us anything yeah. new, but yet they're dressing it up with its Latino perspective and saying, hey, doesn't this feel new? And it's like, yes. And I, I do personally, real, not trying to go on a tangent, I do think that's inherently such a like studio brain problem because I think, you know, Hollywood has forever lacked to give in opportunities to these big budget films in Hollywood with these diverse casts. You know, we remember how big of a deal and that's a win. Let's be very clear. Like that yes, is a win is, in today's society. And you just hope that it's a step in the right direction for bolder, more original storytelling. Like you just hope that this isn't like a one-off, oh, we yeah. did this, wash our hands clean and move on. Like when Black Panther was coming out, you know, I hate talking about like Marvel stuff when you talk about DC and comparing. But like when that came out, like we never got a film with a predominantly black cast like that. But also let's remember the film looked great. And Ryan Coogler was making it and the film itself, everyone was like, oh, my God, you know, this looks awesome. And I think also you know, not to compare Black Panther and Blue Beetle because one's like an A tier like superhero character compared to like a, a B star. But like the film itself, despite, you know, minor CG problems, or whatever, at the end, like people were excited and it was good and delivered or something like Crazy Rich Asians like, that did so well. You know, having a cast like that, that we never really got on that platform. And also the movie was just an incredibly charming and funny rom-com. You know, I think there's only so much that studios can be like, oh, look, hey, diverse cast. And I'm like, that's great. We love to see that. But the film itself also has to be great enough to back up those people and the cast you're platforming. And if you're just going to, mm -hmm. like, color dress it and be like, hey, we got a diverse cast, but, like, the film itself is not good, then, I mean, that's not really progress we want. Because then the movie tanks and then studios, you know, we always know studios learn the wrong lessons from everything. Barbie made a billion. They're like, more toy yeah. movies. They're going to see maybe if they see this movie bomb. Hopefully not. Maybe so because it's not looking great. They're gonna be like, oh well, I guess people don't want to see movies with Latino cast members, so let's not like make any more. And it's like, no, that's not it. Like you have to make the movie on par with the people who are stepping up to like deliver for these audiences. You know, and then also on top of that too, I've seen a lot of people talk about this lately. There's an element of, yes, I imagine the Latino community is gonna show up for this movie, but. Everybody else needs to show up too. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just put it all on their shoulders to just show up and make this a success. Now, if I if I'm being optimistic here, which truth be told, uh this is more of a hope diction than a prediction, I would like to think that this could have strong word of mouth and perform like Elemental did recently where maybe it is able to have 
decent legs over the next couple of weeks. Like the theatrical offerings for the next couple of weeks are pretty slim. Yeah. So if this has good word of mouth, you know, you hope it can do relatively well. Um, I don't want to see this do terribly like, you know, The Flash or Shazam earlier this year, for example. I, I really do want this to be a win for DC because to your point, Gio, I do want them to learn the, the right lessons from this. If it is a failure, they are going to learn the wrong lessons. And, you know, it's going to kill any progress that anyone was hoping that this would uh, make. It's going to just stop it dead in its tracks. Mm -hmm. And I, it, we are just getting also, unconveniently for the film, where you're getting to a point, I think, as a film going audiences where superhero fatigue is dialing in pretty hard. And I think, you know, after the whole Barbenheimer effect, I think people are starting to be like, wow, we can... You know, if I'm going to see IP. Well, look at the films that have performed well this summer and look at the films that yes. haven't. And it's, it's bad. <laughs> so. Yep. The oh, I didn't mention the score. I actually oh. like the score. I love the score, actually. Yeah. That was the one thing I actually really was like, damn, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the score here is done by uh, Bobby Krillick, who um, he's a really underrated great composer. If you look at some of the work that he's done so far, he's worked on Ari Aster's uh, last two films, Midsommar and um, oh, Midsommar is so good score. Yeah. Like the, the I agree. I like the way that it blend uh, electronics yeah, and music. That went yeah, well. Like, there was some really cool stuff here. Yeah, no. All right. So for my final thoughts here, um, I do want to just shout out the opening credits, even though it's kind of a, half-assed compliment i i still thought they were actually kind of generic um the line what did i write down for this line oh yeah down with the imperialists that got a great cheer moment from the crowd when that was said i, I you know did you guys feel that during the one particular action sequence with the ship and they were playing uh i think it was motley crew Right? I, think so. I can't remember. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I could have sworn it was Motley Crue. And I just thought to myself, does, is is this the right song choice <laughs> for this moment? Could could they have done something a little bit better, don't you think? It was a bit random. I was not expecting it. Felt a little, it felt a little <laughs> odd, right? I was not expecting that. I was like, oh, okay, sure. I guess that's the vibe we're going for. <laughs> like, I, I love the song. Don't get me wrong. But for this movie, like, that's what you chose? Uh, yeah. I. Anyway. Little, little, little odd. Does nobody know how to do CPR in this movie? No, CPR is not real apparently in the DC universe. <laughs> I was like, I was like watching the one one particular scene play out, and I'm like, really? No, no one. This whole group. You're just gonna let that really? happen? Like, come on, guys, do something. Yeah. <laughs> you would think also too, considering that this was an ongoing issue with a particular character, you would think that someone would assume responsibility and take a training course or two. Look it up on the internet. <laughs> Something. But no. Okay. There, <laughs> God, I had so many eye-rolling cheese moments in this movie. It, it started to become comical to me. But by the very, very end, the real, the real moment. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There's a character who shows up wearing black leather. At the end of this movie. <laughs> and I was just like, what are we in Greece all of a sudden? We got to show that this character now is cool and with it by having him dress in black leather and riding a motorcycle. Yeah. 
Let's do it. <laughs> what 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 parts of this per, of this character early on in this movie alluded to this kind of a transformation? Can someone please tell me? No, you know what it screams? It screams, "Hey, this is every fourteen year old boy's like fantasy." Hey. Or this is he, for he was... the lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe he was just feeling the energy, you know. That was it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> maybe maybe. Oh, man. And, you know, and that's another thing, too. I was also, like, wondering, and granted, this is, like, suspension of disbelief. I'm getting into, like, the really, really nitty and gritty here. This is nitpick territory for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty far in nitpick territory here. I was also wondering, like, how do these characters know how to operate all this technology without any kind of training time whatsoever? I understand that, like, the suit has a mind of its own and is guiding these characters through a lot. But there comes a certain point where they do operate on their own independent of the suit and start making decisions for themselves. And I'm like, we, we never got like a training montage. We never got like all fucking around and fooling around with these things, trying to figure it all out. Like nothing like that at all. And I just, once again, suspension of disbelief. I get it. I understand. But if you, if your argument is going to be met, it's a superhero film aimed at kids then I'll just throw my hands up and say fine and move on. Overall, I, I'm, I'm making it sound like I did not enjoy this movie. I actually did. I, I did have a good time with this. More than I thought I was going to. So much so that I'm probably going to be the most positive person maybe on this review. I don't know. Um, I'm giving this a week but very generous because I do love the intention of this movie. It got emotional for me towards the end i think it's hard is in the right place seven out of ten for me sarah what about you i'm also a seven out of ten all right giovanni i'm a very strong six out of ten okay and so in terms of any oscar potential for this movie what do you all think do you think it's got anything cooking there for visual effects play or no 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 sad <laughs> so it's so funny because like after watching like Thor Love and Thunder and oh. Ant-Man Quantumania it's incredible to me and oh god Flash earlier this year too oh. like it feels like this movie its effects are decent they're nothing mind-blowing but the fact that there's like nothing inherently awful about it just says to me now like oh my god like this is great like thank you for giving us a subpar offering of visual effects work that's how we are we're like begging <laughs> for like the most average like cgi that doesn't look super like bland or nothing with the volume or anything our standards have just gone down so oh. so far it's bad <laughs> it's so bad yeah but hey, you know what? Like I said earlier, there's room for improvement here. Hopefully the right lessons are uh, taken in by those that are making decisions and they can improve upon a lot here. I mean, you give this movie slightly better effects. You give this movie a tone that hopefully is a little bit more um, unified in terms of what they're going for with the action, the drama, the the comedy. And, uh, you know, you hope that you can listen. I'm not saying that a sequel to this will be like the Dark Knight compared to Batman Begins, but th there's a lot you could work with here. Unless if they want to just take like the Ant-Man route and kind of keep this light, small, personable, you know, we'll see. Sarah, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mildred Spheres. Giovanni Lago, where can I find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Giovanni Lago. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. You know, it's the real, like, godsend of this movie. For real. We did not have to endure another five-second Gal Gadot cameo. <laughs> oh, my fucking... <laughs> oh, Gio, no. It hurts my soul to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.